Welcome back to the Dear Heart and the Brain podcast show, where we discuss general health, fitness, and science. This is the third part of the special micronutrient series, where I'll be breaking down the fundamentals of vitamin and mineral metabolism so that you can better understand its mechanism and subsequent impact on your well-being. I know you're going to love this series, as I've been working on this initiative for quite some time now. Whether you're walking your dog, driving to work, or doing household chores, you're in for a great adventure. Today, we're going to be talking about folate. Folate is another B vitamin, and it has a super power of donating and accepting not electrons, but carbons, right? I would say that this episode is very mechanism heavy, and if you're a science aficionado who loves the terms of of enzymes and um, mechanistic reactions, that this is exactly the place where you belong. Okay. Folate. It has two primary functions. It either makes nucleotides or it metabolizes methyl groups. And before diving deep into the nitty gritty of this, let's talk about the food sources and results of deficiency with this vitamin. Right? While folate helps with making red blood cells and reduce neurotube defects in babies, good sources of folate are often found in plants such as leafy greens and breakfast cereals fortified with folic acid. Folate deficiency can not only be caused by insufficient nutrients but also malabsorption syndromes, genetic disorders, or drug treatment. For example, deficiency is related to defects in DNA synthesis and we don't have sufficient nucleotides and poor Red blood cell intake may, uh, yeah, their synthesis of the red blood cells, right? However, it is a double-edged sword because as it can reduce cancer risk, increasing folate intake may increase cancer risk depending on the stage of cancer that the individual is in. This is because folate is required for cell division and proliferation, which is the double-edged sword here, depending on where you're at. As such, Folate antagonists have been used in treatments of cancer, right? Here, for the rest of the episode, I will be helping us learn more about the mechanisms that can help us move forward in how we understand the interplay between folate and health, okay? So let's start with the biochemical structure of folate. It's pretty complex, and the metabolism of it will result in its ring becoming this form called THF. Remember that term. We're going to talk about it a lot. Um, and also the elongation of the glutamate chain that is catalyzed by this enzyme called FPG synthetase. And it's key for increasing the efficiency. And third, the acquisition of carbons at the nitrogen 5 or 10 position. Okay. So... The form of folate in your blood is called 5-methyl-THF, and it gets taken up by our liver by folate transporters, and as I mentioned before, folate coenzymes will donate and accept one carbon units that will be the major pathways in methionine, thymidylate, and purine synthesis reactions, which is what we'll be discussing now. These biosynthetic reactions are all interconnected And it all relates back to this trifunctional enzyme that mediates everything called the C1-THF synthase. Let's explore how folate is used to make nucleotides in purine and thymidylate. 
cycles. What are purines? Purines, they're in our DNA, right? You know, adenine and guanine, those are purines. And the thimidolate in our DNA is a thymine. So three of the four bases for nucleotides, 75% of it, are done with the help of folate. So you know how important this is, right? And for purines, let's start with the purine cycle. This is going to be a sequential order where we start with THF, right? It gets formulated by formate to make 10-formal THF. And then 10-formal THF will form purines in that two-step process. And knowing that 10-formal THF is the entry point of one-carbon units for biosynthetic reactions in the thymidylate cycle as well go a long way, so keep that in mind. Right. Remember that the C1 THF synthase that's trifunctional? Yeah, this is really helpful, guy. This is the reaction from THF to 10-formal, THF to 5-10-methene, THF. These are all bidirectional and carried out by the folate savior C1 THF synthase. What about thymidine, right? The leftover 5-10-methylene THF from the purine cycle will be used for the thymidylate cycle. The key point is that the 5-10 is converted to DHF in this dimidolate cycle, and then there's this there's this reaction where dump will become DTMP with dimidolate synthesis synthase for the synthesis of thymine, right? So just like the purine cycle, where once the THF becomes formulated by formate and makes the 10 form with THF, which forms the purines, similarly this happens in thymine where the 510 THF will get converted into DHF and then with that um, there is dimidolate synthase that synthesizes thymine. And in many biochemical reactions, like the ones we just talked about, the dimidolate and purine cycle, you see that our cells will piggyback and leverage two reactions in order to be efficient in their product. Here, you just saw that we got dimidolate synthesis by the 510 donating its carbon and DHF, it is now generated later to become THF again in the cycle, right? So DHF, this is the inactive form, and then there's this reductase called DHF reductase that reduces it back to THF as the active form. So that's what happens after the thymine is synthesized, right? We have 510 to DHF, DHF is inactive, so we have a reductase to get it to THF, and now THF, right? There's two ways that can go. It can make more 510-methylene-THF with the trifunctional C1 synthase. Or in a second way, where 510 can be obtained by the it's, it's serine-derived um, enzyme called the C, uh, SHMT. And it'll basically transfer a formaldehyde from serine, which is a source of one carbon units, of course, to THF without the trifunctional help, right? So THF can go two ways. There we got the trifunctional C1-THF getting it to 510, or we have the serine-derived enzyme that will donate its formaldehyde to THF without the help, right? Serine is an amino acid from our diet or glucose that will source the one carbon units for folate metabolism and in this thymidylase synthesis that we just talked about. The key point is this 510-THF this is a carbon carrier that will form 
thymidine in the initial reactions, and then KHF gets oxidized to form DHF. DHF is inactive. It's reduced again to form THF, which will enter or either become 510 through serine or the C1-THF synthesis, synthase or the purine cycle. Remember that 510 is the primary start point for the thymidylate synthesis cycle, so it's important to have a steady supply from it, either from the purine cycle or from the serine-derived molecule to get more of that supply rate. Now, we'll finish this episode talking about methyl metabolism, right? The reason why we need methyl groups is because of DNA methylation and protein synthesis for the gains. So the leftover 510-THF for the period cycle, again, is converted into 5-methyl-THF through this help called MTHFR. If you write this down, um, you'd think it's another name for something else, but I assure you that this is just a um, flavoprotein from riboflavin that helps convert 510 into 5-methyl-THF. Again, we see the interdependence of B vitamins and cellular metabolism, which is pretty dope. When 5-methyl-THF is converted to THF with methionine synthesis or synthase, 5-methyl transfers its methyl group to homocysteine, which will become methionine and adomet, leading to the methylation of DNA and proteins, which is what we want. Right? So this gets the wording gets pretty interesting here when you tie in all these enzymes together. Homocysteine is not found in our diet, but it is actually a product from methylation reactions, particularly the 8-O-H-C-Y. And whether or not homocysteine can be remethylated by 5-methyl to promote more methylation reactions really depends on the methyl status of the tissue. Right? The driver here is called 8-O-Met. Adomet hates the guts of MTHFR. You know that MTHFR basically converts a leftover 510 into THF so that THF can donate its its methyl group to homocysteine as as then homocysteine can promote methylation, right? High levels of Adomet will inhibit MTHER, so we can't convert 510 to make 5-methyl anymore to start the mechanism, and it will send homocysteine under the bus by converting it into cysteine, and we can't get methyl metabolism now. These feedback loops are put into place so that the cell can send signals about whether or not to increase the production of something based on demand, right? We know that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, and we generate these one-carbon units from the mitochondria and cytosol through the degradation of other biocompounds. So, in this episode, we covered a lot. We covered a lot of mechanism. We covered how folate is basically involved in making nucleotides in the purine and dimidylase uh, cycles through mechanisms of a step-by-step procedure, as well as methyl metabolism of how we need methyl groups for DNA methylation and protein synthesis, right? I hope you really enjoyed this episode, my friend. That's all I have for you today about folate and the rules in your body. If you enjoyed this episode, I can't wait for you to stay tuned for the next few ones in this micronutrient series because you will increase your scientific excitement and curiosity that will last you a lifetime. I'm going to leave you with the same message I leave in every single one of these Dear Heart and the Brain podcast episodes. Keep that brain sharp, keep that heart healthy, and go dominate.
Thanks so much for your time and attention. Above all, thank you for your interest in science. Thank you.